Welcome to the Gallant Few Rangers podcast. My name's Colin McDuff and I'll be your host as always. Joining me tonight, bringing the festive cheer is Graham Campbell. Graham, how are you doing? Good, Colin, thanks. Good to have you on. Um, I'll, be, I'll be a beacon of positivity as always, um, especially this week, we need it. And making a debut tonight, it's a uh, fantastic Mr. Davy Pollock. Davy, how are you doing? I'm good, Colin. I'm good and I'm uh, delighted to be on. Delighted to have you on. Uh, welcome to the Gallant Few podcast. So, tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your your life following Rangers before we get going. All right. Well, well, I'm a, a boy from uh, Glasgow. I was born in Gardens, uh, so I'm a wee jet. I'm, I'm now stay out in darkest West Lothian. Fair enough, but you know, it's just been in my family tradition to uh, to be a Rangers man. It was it was kind of inbred. You know, we didn't have a choice. So when when I as I grew up, you know, you just become aware of Rangers. Uh, going to Ibrox, my dad took us as you know pups. When you know it was reserve games, he would take us to. First of all, we wouldn't actually get to first team games, but uh, really just from from that, and then it's it's in the DNA. So we've, I've been following Rangers. So the first game I was at was actually Colin Steen's debut Ibrox, which was uh, nineteen sixty eight uh, as as a as a five year old. So. Uh, really, since then, I, I've been followed the club home and abroad. You know, I've been all over Europe. I've been sixteen different countries following Rangers. Season ticket holder in the club deck, formerly the Governor. Uh, I was in the Copeland Road stand the day it opened. You know, so but so I mean a, a wealth of experience to draw on. Hopefully, Colin, and and hopefully some of it makes sense. I'm just thinking, Graham Campbell uh, definitely prides himself in these European away trips and uh, his time spent following Rangers. But Graham, I think you might be a, might have been matched there. It sounds like it, Colin. Uh, 1968, watching Rangers first time, Colin Steam uh, debut. Uh, I'm sure David we probably bumped into each other a few few pints down abroad at some point, no doubt. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, I look forward to hearing your your views and opinions. Unfortunately, I'm not going to remember too much of it because if, it, if I met you, it would have been in a bar <laughs> and we would have stopped at Glasgow Airport. So, uh, Most people would bump into Graham on the night you tend to want to forget it. Don't worry about that. You're not alone. So, on to, on to current affairs then. Um, on Saturday, a COVID stuck Dundee United came to Ibrox and I, I always hate these games when a team comes... Um, either injury or illness struck or they're going through a crisis or they're written off before the game because it always end up being really difficult and never how they're, never how they're lined up to be. So, Graham, I, I definitely think this was the case on Saturday. It wasn't quite the 5 6 7 nothing drubbing we were predicting on the pod last week. It wasn't. And I think if anyone out there is a betting man, the, I think it was Skybet just before the game had... Dundee United at 60-61 on just to win the game, which is unbelievable. I don't think I've seen a price like that for a team against Rangers in a very, very long time. I always had that feeling it wouldn't be that. I thought it was always going to be that tight kind of game. You know, they build up to the game. Dundee United have had their problems. They couldn't train. 
Tam Courts, to be fair to him, actually did come out before it and say that it hadn't affected them too much and it was a relatively normal week. Um, but you just know, especially somebody like uh, Seacrest and Goal, who's always been somebody that's caused us issues, somebody we can get past, somebody who's always had good games, you know, when he's out, you just know whoever's coming in is going to have a good game. And I felt even though, as a whole, we were poor, uh, Trevor Carson was... was uh, played a good game. I feel like that's always the case. I don't know if it's just me, but when I watch Rangers, I feel like you just know their keeper, whoever we're playing, is going to have the game of their life. Joe Lewis always pops up in my head as that kind of guy when we play Aberdeen. It's like I, I, it's 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 a nightmare. But look, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best. But I'm glad it went ahead, and obviously I'm glad we got three points. You know, David, I think. Uh... Graham Graham's right there. We need to give Dundee United a wee bit of credit. We don't like to do that too often, so I won't waver the point. But they did set up well, and I think they they definitely executed the game plan they wanted to do for the most part. But we're not here to talk about Dundee United. It's all about Rangers, and we weren't at our best on Saturday, were we? No, we didn't. It certainly didn't go to plan. It certainly didn't go to the plan that I was discussing pre-match because when we were discussing pre-match bets, it was full of four nils and Morelos hat tricks and. You know, so, but you know that, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to know that it's, uh, you know, we, we have to go out there and make it happen. It doesn't happen automatically. So it's, uh, but Dundee United, to give them, you know, fair due, they come out and they certainly gave us a match. They, they, they certainly expended some amount of energy. All those young boys were uh, tracking us, you know, hounding us, pressing the ball, pressing the ball. I was, I was quite impressed with Dundee United, to be honest. Aye, and I think I think the game definitely didn't go how the how the manager expected it, and it's I didn't really know how to make of it at the time. So the back four setting up Patterson out on the right, Bassey on the left, and a centre back pairing of Golson and Tavernier, and it was actually <laughs> I, I was laughing when I was watching the sports scene highlights again this afternoon. It sums up how early they changed this, um, they changed the back four about where the earliest highlight has Tavernier at right back. But two or three minutes in, they realised that, you know what, this game hasn't hasn't started how we expect it. And they put Parson left back, Tavernier right back and Bassin goes in centre half. So, Davey, I suppose the, the point there is... I think we're always quick as Rangers fans to moan about that when we wait to 60, 70 minutes to change it, but this is a completely different statement. Well, I thought that uh, when Gio attended the post-match conference, uh, press conference, that he actually alluded to the fact that he didn't know what setup Dundee United were going to come out with, and he had kind of prepared for both. So clearly, the one that they'd set up with it didn't quite match his expectation and they quickly flicked it over. So I don't think he was caught by surprise, but I think they just adjusted. It was something that I think they had been discussing post pre-match and then when it materialised the other way, they flipped over. So we're saying, I don't, I don't think it was. But you've seen, you know, within two or three minutes, they, they, they changed it over. Because I, I think they just reacted to the, the United setup, which I think they had anticipated. You know, they, it was... Uh, alluding to knowing that he didn't know it was going to go one way or the other. So, But no panic just yet. <laughs> that came later. I think the, the for me, the most impressive part about Gio's start, and I remember reading about this before, um, before he'd taken charge, that 
he isn't afraid to mix things up. Um, it is very much game by game, whether it's going direct, whether it's a high press, etc. And definitely so far in his in, in his spell in charge, what I've seen is a quick change depending on who we're playing. Now that might be from the get go or potentially from five, ten, fifteen minutes. Obviously we saw that against Dundee United with that change. Now I think when we saw the lineup I think I said to one of my pals, well, I would imagine it's going to be parts and left back. So obviously those that first minute when you see Tavernier centre back, you're like, okay, interesting. He changes that immediately. I think we saw it against St. Johnson. They were basically playing 11 men behind the ball. And you could see pretty much immediately just how further forward Tavernier and Barisic were um, than how we've been playing in the games before that. Obviously, Jules came in with a bit of a different mentality when it comes to fullbacks. But again, it's obviously... A change was needed against St. Johnson. They were going to sit in, so we're pushing our full-backs hard. I think that's very much been the kind of rhythm we've seen with Gio. He's not afraid to change things up. I think the two goals, um, sorry, well, what, one of the goals we scored against Hearts and the goal against Livingston, the direct ball through the middle, I don't think we would have seen that with Gerrard. I know we saw Goldson's diagonal passes under Gerrard, but just the direct ball right through the middle, splitting a defence in half when it's needed against difficult teams. This is another thing that we see under Gio that is great. It's really promising. We're not afraid to play it long. We're not afraid to uh, go play through the middle. It doesn't matter. We can change it up, and it's it's really good to see. So I'm keen to get your thoughts on the on the midfield lineup here. Um, it's you know we started with Kamara and Lundstrom as that kind of the those two pivots in the in the middle with um, Hadji, Arfield, and Kent playing behind Morelos and. Um, David, it's very easy to say this with the benefit of hindsight, but I thought this would have been a great game for Hadji to play further through the middle, with Aribo obviously sitting out to protect him for the booking. Um, as a few games now, Hadji playing out wide, I don't really think it's suited to him. Uh, so I was really surprised to see Hadji out wide there, not a Sakala, not a right. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think if we learned anything from Saturday, that Hadji on the right is just uh, not going to to work. We're not; he doesn't have the pace to do it, you know. And and you're, you're getting the best from the boys. He's, he can play with both feet. He's clearly got a very uh, quick mind, you know. He's got the Hollywood ball in him all day long. Sometimes he'll do daft things, you know. And a couple of weeks ago, when he just he swiped at the ball and fell over, you know. But he does have; he's got the killer pass in him. And I think, you know. Hadji through the middle is is the best use of the guy, and putting him out wide, you know, when against you know teenagers, he's, that's ain't going to fly. Because you see what the difference when when Wright came on with a bit of pace, and the difference that that made, you know, when, when being out outright. So I don't think we we did the boy any favour by sticking him uh, outright from the from the outset. Just I don't think that's his position. I don't think it will be his position ever again. <laughs> I think um, kind of touched on Davy's point. Obviously, I don't want to drone on about what we did under Gerard, but obviously with him, the the two guys um, up with the striker were more number ten rules. That was always something that was obvious. G was obviously playing with a wider um, two in the side of our striker, so it absolutely doesn't work now. I think in terms of the match sponsor, I think gave the man of the match to Hadji at the weekend. 
I can only assume the match sponsor was Georgie Hadji because who in the name of Christ would have given Hadji the man of the match is absolutely beyond me. Obviously, I don't want to sit here and criticise him. He's, he's been excellent for us, but I absolutely couldn't agree more with David. We do need to play him more through that middle row, and that's where we'll get the best kind of sitting now, maybe coming from the middle three, sitting behind the, the, the front. That's where we're going to get the best from him. And I think actually it's it's actually probably harder for him to get in the team right now because potentially that middle three really were pretty sewn up. It was good to see Lindstrom back. I really like him. I think he's been excellent so far this season. Maybe a bit unlucky to fall out of the team. Um, maybe didn't have the best game against Dundee United. However, with Arfield really getting a good run in the team as well, I think it's going to be harder for Hadji maybe to, to break back in. And obviously with Aribo out of the weekend, I think that did give Hadji a good chance and he really didn't take it. That That is my fear with Hadji. It's been no secret. I'm a massive fan of Yanis Hadji. I think he's, you know, well sometimes consistency will maybe dip up and down is clear just what both of you are saying he's got all the talent in the world and I think once he really harnesses his talent he'll go on to bigger and better things in the years to come but right now he's his best position is where Joe Rebo has been playing and Joe Rebo uh, in my opinion has been the the best Rangers player so far this season and I know we've struggled for form here and there but I think Aribo has been consistently the best so that then leaves Haji either making coming off an impact sub um, or playing elsewhere and it will just be it, I think it will be a difficult six months for him um, Davey What I would say about Haji is that along with his technical ability he, his attitude is absolutely spot on. He does his head never goes down, and he just keeps plugging away. And he, he just for the team, for the team, for the team. And the the boy is a is a star. You know, he's not the toys out the pram type guy. It's just get get your head down. You moved in position. Mm-hmm. He just went on with it, head down. And and I, I really like that. I like that in players generally, but I I love it in Jet Rangers players. Yeah, and I think that's maybe why there's such a big love in for Yanis Hadji at times as well. Even when he is in and out of the team and maybe not playing his best, he is always, you know, it's a bare minimum um, you're going to get from effort. And he's very honest as well. I really liked his press, uh, his post-match press conference where he came out and apologised for that mental penalty he attempted at the end. That was the first words out of his mouth. So credit where credit's due with that. So... I mean, I've got a couple of notes here, gents, about a few few chances here and there. Um, I think there was a, a terrific ball in for Patterson um, in the first half. Uh, Morelos uh, headed it just over the bar. Apart from that, there was maybe a couple of chances Scott Wright was involved in early in the second half. But I don't know, I, I felt all the way through that game. Uh, David, I'll stick with you. I, I felt all the way through that game up until the penalty. I had a bad feeling it was just was going to be one of those days where it just wouldn't go our way. And I think the finishing was kind of backing that up to a point. Alfie had clearly had a couple. The one he was through, which I don't think he quite caught the shot right, which he, he scudded past uh, the, the goalkeeper's right post. He just he never caught it right, but he had, he had a good opportunity there. He had the opportunity to, to try and pick someone out, but he elected to shoot. He never quite caught the shot correctly. You know, Alfie on another day could have leathered that straight into the top corner. There was obviously the header, uh, and so which was it was a decent save by the by Carson. Uh, but in in the second half, he had he had a next chance which uh, cut uh, Scott Wright cut back to him, and he, he leathered that one, but that went two feet over the bar. 
So and then he was he was through and, and elected to feed uh, Aribo and Aribo cut back in. So Alfie had you know a couple of chances to score. It wasn't as if we didn't have chances. We didn't have many, but we uh, the chances that we did create. Obviously, we uh, didn't take them, and and I think that's been true of you know Gerard and and, and now Gio is that we we don't convert as many chances as I would hope. You know, in terms of uh, because we, we've We've created a few on Saturday. I think with five on target, uh, we we should be turning that into more goals for me. It's one of those. I'm glad Davies actually kind of rhymed off quite a lot of the chances because even though it did feel like one of those games, this has now now written all over it, quote unquote. But we really did have a lot of chances, even though it was a slog. It was all about a lot of the ones we didn't take. Again, we're just not clinical enough. I think for me, the Scott Wright one, he has to bury that. He's through and goal. He's six yards out and he's just, he's just, and he did change the game when he came on to an extent. He was good. He was lively. He was dangerous. But that is the kind of chance you need to bury. And that could have been that. Obviously, we got the penalty. It was a stonewaller. But I do like stats as well. And it is good. The expected goal stat, for example, is always one that does show you just how many chances you've had as a team nine kills was something like 2.5 we did have about 70% of possession we did absolutely dominate the game it's just for us about being more clinical and there was certainly chances we should have taken Morelos if he's on his day and if, look I'm not going to sit here and slay him either because he's scored I don't know 7 and 7 or something like that his assists are up he has been excellent since Gilles came in but there definitely is some tidying up his game he could do in terms of finishing and composure in front of goal and that would take him to the absolute next level so hopefully that's to come Roy McKay surely he can't have many better to learn off so hopefully that's something that's rubbing off When when uh, Joe Aribo uh, took the ball from Alfie Alfie broke from the halfway line and took it he cut inside and then so had the shot the guy got his foot to it went past the post but Alfie was raging with him for not returning the ball to him you know he did that yeah, Colombian dance oh, which was uh, which is always good to see eh? so, because Alfie for me is he's, his attitude seems to have picked up no end I don't know what Gio has uh, said to him or what he's feeding him but it, it seems to have made the difference in the last few weeks he just seems to be more on it and uh, and the, the bursts you know from the one in the first half that he put through and from robbing the guy in the halfway line bursting through it just looks just a wee tad fitter for me. Maybe I don't know whether that's true or not. But yeah, I don't just... know why. He, he looks quicker. He looks hungry. He looks quicker. And he looks more up for it. Because you're right, he is a completely different Alfredo Morelos for what we were seeing seven, eight weeks ago. Um, and I don't think... Uh, I mean, Van Bronckhorst might be good, but I don't know uh, how good he is to turn around fitness levels in the space of four weeks. Um, but there's something there. There's a new lease of life. Yeah, Tav is... Uh... He is a star. I mean, I just, I, for me, uh, he is he is the best player in our squad, uh, and on his game, you know, he is unplayable because he will be a, he will roll defenders. He, he's got the strength to do it. Uh, he's got the finishing power. I, I want to see him in the box far more often, you know, rather than you know be running twenty yards to take a shot and go. I would like to see him hovering around the penalty spot, and uh, hopefully our two wingers will be feeding Alfie cutbacks leathered them in as uh, Scott Wright did in the second half he did but he leathered it over the bar right enough but certainly I, I would like to see Alfie more in those positions than, than, than running forward with the ball 
because I think he is a, a good finisher. Yeah, and it has been good to, to see that more often um, on, under Van Doncroft. And I think it's probably fair to call out that before Gio came in, we were shit out of form in front of goal. We were, we, we, well, shit out of form in general, to be fair. Um, but especially in front of goal, that wasn't just a one-off game thing. Um, the, the Hibs game where we couldn't take our chances, that was creeping in for quite a few weeks. And... I think, just to be fair, while there are improvements, it probably will take time to completely turn that around, but it's good to see we're going in the right direction. So, Graham, you said this was a stone waller. I'm not too sure, because I think there's very good good arguments to both sides of it. So, on the one hand, this penalty, the Dundee United player catches the ball, right? I get that. But I've seen very convincing arguments on Twitter. I but Sevco, Mason refs. I don't know where I fall on this. Um, I'm right on the fence. Help me out, convince me. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just can't see the wood for the trees, right? I mean, the guy practically did catch the ball. The The most worrying thing is that Alan Muir wasn't going to give. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> He was not going to give that penalty until the linesman obviously saw the madness in his eyes. I do feel for refs right now because, unfortunately, I think Alan Muir knows that once he gives it, he's going to have a little hell to pay. And, unfortunately, refs, the media, etc. have been... I mean, you've got pundits in this country who, once we've been given that penalty, are saying things like, there's a shock, etc., buying into this absolute conspiracy nonsense. Could you imagine anyone from our country turning round to a foreign person that doesn't know much about Scottish football and saying there's a conspiracy against Celtic Football Club amongst referees in this country? That person's surely going to turn around and go, God, I take it they've not won much in the last five, ten years. No, actually, this is a football club that won 15 out of the last 19 trophies, but there is a conspiracy against them, I can assure you. It is... Honestly, it's mind-blowing and I can't believe they're still peddling it. But, yeah, the fact that Alan Muir was not going to give the penalty is something that was, I mean, as, as astonishing as anything. Unbelievable. And, it's you deeply know, troubling. I, I, I couldn't help but laugh there. And what made me laugh even more on Saturday night, Davey, was looking through Twitter and all the threads. So many, so many people who were deadly serious. They were arguing back. Um, I say people, it's deranged terms. Arguing back to people saying, we're not disputing that that was a penalty. We're just annoyed that it was given because you always get given one. Like, that's fucking mental. So, and that's and that's what it's become. And I, and I think Graham's right. You know, see that hesitation in the referee giving a penalty which is, is a stonewall a penalty as you're ever going to see. I mean, it was, it was waving down taxi stuff, you know, to, uh, to stop that ball. And the referee's immediate reaction should be that penalty kick. But you can you see the hesitation and he's thinking, do I really want to do this? Do I really? That, that's, and that's where they've got the referees, just with it, you know, mm-hmm. constantly chipping away. It mentioned at the AGM, you know, about how they're hard done by by referees and this conspiracy, and they all buy into it, and the whole thing gains some momentum, and it's got the referees in a position where they're now questioning the absolute obvious. You know, it's just, it's, it's bonkers. It really is. But in such, I think it's something 
within the football authorities, the SPFL, the SFA, have to address the issues when people are speaking out against, you know, are creating conspiracy theories, when uh, the whole thing is an utter mirage, when when they, as, as we've seen, you know, they, they will benefit from, from refereeing decisions as much as anyone, probably more than anyone. But how... How come it's become we're all out to get them? You know, they're in a dark, dark place, those people. And as I said, it's it's the fact that look, I'm, it's not as if we don't know where guys like Hartson and, and Sutton lie in the main in the media and where their biases go. That the point is these guys are on our television screens every weekend working for BT or Premier Sports and they're then going on Twitter, they're going on social media and they're stating how how much of a not a shock it is that we've been given a penalty. It is dangerous to be paid on this. It is dangerous. It is not on and I, I totally agree. Something absolutely needs to be done because it is putting pressure on the referee. Alan Muir's got to be going, I don't know if I want the hassle for giving Rangers a penalty here, even though the Dundee United defender's probably halfway up the pitch carrying the ball by that point. Like, it is outrageous. The, the point in Sutton, I think it just really sums up the like, the kind of way they land. In the same week, you know, he's he's given a platform to to call Rangers out as bigots for not letting them in to um, to do the coverage at Ibrooks when it's nothing to do with who he played for. It's just the fact he's a dick. But the same week that he says that, um, he alludes to John Beaton being in the masonry. Um, you you couldn't mark their neck by a blowtorch. But but on the on the positive side of that penalty, we got it, uh, thankfully. And David, I thought yeah, you can tell when the penalty takers are up for it and Tav you know, as soon as we got that and Tav was walking up, there was no doubt in my mind that we were going to score that. Um, Tav just looked game for it. And I, I'm always one for that. The penalty taker, it shouldn't be the best striker of the ball. It should be who's most confident, regardless of ability. And he, you know, finally converted penalty. penalty. Oh, yeah. And when the penalty's awarded, you know, I'm up in the club deck, quite near the front, you know, so I'm you're immediately up on your feet. You know, come on, Tav, just leather this home. That's exactly what he did. And then when he goes for the celebration and he gets into the huddle, and uh, so with, with the rest of the players, but then Tav, you know, breaks free from them to go to the Union Bears to give it, you know, another uh, a wee volley of yeah, beauty. And you, so you could see that it, that was an important goal for Rangers, but it was an important moment for Tav, you know, because question marks about his, uh, some of the penalties, you know, because he'd missed a couple last year, but... I think you just have to go with it because he strikes the ball as, uh, as cleanly as anyone and there was no keeper in the world was saving that. <clears throat> I, think that's the, I think that's a good thing. I think it's helped have because Roof is now our number one penalty taker when he's playing, which, by the way, can never say it enough. I absolutely adore Kamar Roof so much. I think he is an absolute unbelievable player. I'm sorry. Apart from his run-up to the penalties, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. No, if I am so confident when Roof's taking our penalties, the one against Hibs, even though I think all our like heads were in our arses waiting for that to go in, twitching the lot, I was still really confident he was putting that away. He is the most composed finisher we have at a football club, and I think he can really handle pressure. 
if he can, if he could, we can just get him to avoid injury slash suspensions, he will absolutely. He is a thirty-five to forty goal a season striker. His actual goal record for us already is outrageous. I really think he'll be the next guy to hit hundred goals for us. He'll be the next real marquee guy within our football club and our club's history with hundred goals next to his name. I'm telling you that that's going to happen. But I think that's helped Tav when Ruth's not in the team. It does fall into Tav. I don't think it has the same pressure, quite the same pressure, because he's coming in to take that, and I think that's helped him. And it was an absolute belter up anyway. As Davy says, it's a, it's a celebration with the the fans as much as him once he comes away from the players. We are talking about James Tavernier now. The guy is well, if he's not there already, well on his way. Club legend stats. He's been here six years. He's notching. He's going to watch notch three hundred plus appearances soon. I think I would imagine. Um, yeah, what what a guy! And by the way, sorry, just to, and it's great. If, if I know we've said that a million times, but if we can just get him and Parson in that same team, because people just want Parson in for the sake. I'm well aware, as much as anyone, Patterson is as good a youth player as we brought through this club in probably decades. Let's face it. But I don't want just to shoehorn him in ahead of Tav for the sake of it. Tav is behind Morelos, our best player, our most important player. Just on the Parson thing, I, I was—I think I actually um, posting follow follow. Somebody put a thread up about Parson the last week, and I, I did put in that I—I don't think we're in danger of it right now, but I would—I'd be worried in case he eventually f- went down the Ross Matrory route, where he's in the team just because he can do a job at a number of different places instead of playing in his best position. So his best position is obviously right full back. Maybe uh, after a few appearances or a few games, he might he might find his feet in the left sided fullback. But we've already seen him play right wing. I just find back to Ross McCrory when he was playing centre mid, centre back, right back, and he fell victim to he was only coming in for certain games for certain positions because he was a utility player. Um, and while Patterson's a much bigger prospect than McCrory ever was, I just think um, that's it could eventually go down quite a dangerous road. Have it. Uh, Nathan Patterson is now a, a full international player, so uh, at right back. So there should be no doubt where where his best position is. He now has an assist and an international goal. So if Rangers were, were want to go down the Ross McCrory road and, and start using you know t- Patterson as some sort of utility player, where he's going to fill it here and here and there as as positions present themselves, that would be utterly nuts. Because the chap is is an absolute top draw fullback, and uh, it, I don't see any other position for him. That's not to say that you know in emergencies he couldn't fill in somewhere else, but I I hope he never becomes the guy who's just going to trot round and fill in gaps, because uh, I think he's already shown the quality that he has, and Rangers should take advantage of that. Definitely, and I think um, I think where. His appearances here and there in other positions, there has been a bit more of a clamour to say, like, just get him in the team regardless. Or, but I think it should still be, he's a, he is a right, a Scotland, full Scotland international a right back on merit. But for me, still behind the pecking order of James Tavney, and I think he has to earn that. Anyone that says Nathan Parson is a better player and should be in the team ahead of James Tavenier needs to take a long, hard look at themselves. They're only saying that 
because Nathan Patterson is such an unbelievably good prospect. That does not mean you just pop him in the team ahead of one of our most important players who notches up an outrageous amount of assists and goals in a season. I don't care what anyone says. We cannot just pop him in for the sake of it. It needs to be right. I'm more than happy if I think any fullback worth the salt should be able to play on the other side. If he needs to play left back, great. If we can play him left, uh, right mid, great. I think a good player can play any player uh, play anywhere on the pitch. Ross McCrory was not good enough to be a Rangers player. He was not, and I don't think that's because uh, him being a utility man, etc. I think. Patterson's asked to play right mid ahead of Tav. In certain games, if, if Patterson's asked to play left back, he will play it and I think he'll play it well. And I think it's as important for him and his learning of the game to be getting game time and be playing different positions because that's how you learn the game the best. One of the benefits that I see of uh, Giovanni is now that hopefully as we come into the uh, winter mm-hmm. break, is that he will be able to get those players on the training pitch, and and which he hasn't been able to do with the amount of games that we've been turning over two a week. So it's a day off, a day's training, prepare for the game, then the game, and he's in. He's been in that cycle since he arrived. I think he needs a, a, some time on the training pitch with the team. You know, with his ideas, he'll now have a few weeks to have had a look at the players, and 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 that we should then see some of the advantages which Giovanni is going to bring. You know, the, the him and his coaching staff will have identified a few uh, tweaks here and there, no doubt. And I think that, that we will get the lift from that in, the, in, the, in January, with the view that when we get to the end of January, the guys will be well up to speed with what Gio thinks and, and what he wants to see of them, you know, come game time. Definitely. I think the good thing is that I, I think he's found the right balance of not just leaving it as is, but not trying to change everything straight away when you've only got two day t- training gaps here and there. You can sm- see the small tweaks, the small changes coming in the side, um, and it's just starting to really ease ease the team in the in the squad in his way of thinking before he gets this proper time to really embed the ideas. I think that's a great balance. Yeah, and I so, think Nathan role on the team will, will hopefully feature in, in, in that discussion that he has you know with Nathan Tavernier you know and and say right how, how can we um, best take advantage of the talents that we have what, what what's the setup what does it what does the structure look like how should we best uh, use all the resources that we have available and I think Nathan Patterson will, will be in that chat somewhere so on a, this week that he's got um, to prepare for the Simonon game, um, it's it's been a wee bit up in there um, with the announcements today. But um, Graham, I suppose we should start with uh, the the biggest announcement. Um, Nicola Sturgeon announcing today that there'll be no more than 500 capacities on any outdoor events in Scotland. Obviously, ruling out a full house in Boston Day for. Um, for Rangers against the Mirren. Um it's either whatever way you look at it, it is really it's hard news. Um two years into the pandemic. Um it's it's a sore one to take this time of year, isn't it? Of course it is. It really is. I was one of the unlucky ones as well to miss out in the ballot for the first game of the season against Levy. So I guess I've already missed out for COVID purpose, for limited capacity. 
And now this, I think it's not great. The last time there was, I suppose, a three-week lockdown-ish, as you want to call it. I know other things are open, but look, it, it went on for a long time. I get, I do get, playing devil's advocate, I do get and understand why people want the winter break pushed forward. And I would rather get to go and watch Rangers. I don't care whether that means... Uh, playing the old firm in front of a full park head. I want to go to Rangers games. I want to go as part of a full house. Although there are obviously other things to bear in mind. Davey mentioned beforehand, but before we came on about the African Cup of Nations now, if pulling the winter break forward does not suit us because we are then going to lose important players out for longer, then that's absolutely something we need to take in consideration because you know fine well all we're going to hear about is the integrity of the game for the next few weeks while people are going to, certain clubs are going to try and get ahead of the game here. I don't believe that our game against St Mirren on Boxing Day is going to go ahead anyway and I think due to that and due to a lot of Covid cases I honestly don't see seeing any football maybe until the second week of January at, at the, the earliest opportunity. So with, with the St Mirren game, just to update on that before we came on, um, also St Mirren asked the SPFL board today if they could reschedule their games against Celtic midweek and Rangers on Sunday due to the COVID cases. The SPFL have told them no, um, according to the BBC and um, and Clyde One and all the kind of northern news outlets. Um, St Mirren still have said they'll review it and they'll continue discussions with it so just because they've said no just now doesn't mean that things won't change um i think we've seen how quickly things can change uh, with us um for me i think if the summary game goes ahead on sunday that'll be very dependent on how the aberdeen and celtic games uh go ahead personally speaking davy i'd rather we just play the games um closed doors or not because i don't want to be a pessimist i think it's um I don't know, I think if we reschedule these for end of January, February or whatever, then there's always going to be an excuse to have the reduced capacities or whatever. Well, the SBFL now, we're now almost two years into this. So they should have in place a, you know, a fairly uh, obvious set of, of regulations, which means that you know there will be trigger points at which the game cannot go ahead because you have run out of players or... You know, whatever whatever those criteria are, and I think that that criteria must exist. So, so it should be dead obvious to all and sundry. You know, so, so there should be a threshold which, if St Mirren meet with the number of COVID cases that they have, then the game is off. That sh- that should be open and transparent to all. It shouldn't be a question of you know sending them some sort of begging letter to say you know oh, please be kind to us. You know we we can't do this. It should the, the rules should be in place. If they have enough experience of it to know what will be required of St Mirren to field a, a team, you know, without going into the, you know, the under-18s and, and make the whole fixture meaningless. So that that should, if the SPFL don't have that in place, then a shame on them, I say. I think, like, I get why people want the games to go ahead. I get it if you can field... We're going to have 500 people at Ibrooks. I do not want to go back to closed doors football. There's obviously, you don't need me to tell you about the financial implications, not just for us, but there is no way this is going to be sustainable um, doing this. 
but it's just not happening. We've got, I mean, we've got a home tie against Stirling Albion. Now, the continuous credit cards uh, scheme season ticket holders, I'm one of them, for example. I don't know how many we have. My guess is 25 to 30,000 in the CCCS, right? That is a lot of that is a lot of money that our club is going to miss out on. Now, I can give two shits about Stirling Alwyn. However, I do feel for them because I guarantee since they've been drawn against us and had that draw in January, Ibrox, with it being the Scottish Cup, they'll get half the gate. They might have also then been working towards that. Just thinking from a financial point of view, from the football and for, for, the, for the whole game, I just think it's a disaster. I think if we can avoid playing games without fans in the stadium, I really think that's the best thing to do. And I would I just don't want to miss any more games. I don't want to sit and watch Rangers TV needlessly if we can avoid it. I totally understand that it's probably a flip of the coin. You're gonna have people that want the games to go ahead, that want to see us in Boxing Day play in front of five hundred people. I don't know why. I get it though. But I just I'd rather, if we can, avoid that and get back to full stadiums if we've got this break after two or three weeks. That's Stirling Albion game will be inconvenient and it's going to take, be a financial hit. The absolute disaster will be Borussia Dortmund because if, if we don't have a gate, a full gate at Ibrox for that game, Rangers will immediately take a, a £2 million hit. It'll be over £2 million for, for, for the gate receipts for that match and that will just, it's just been wiped out. So... Whoever is in charge of the finances at Ibrox will be praying to all that's holy that 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 is not going to be behind closed doors that game because that is a it's, it's almost as much money as winning the the, the SPFL. I guess I'm 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 hoping it doesn't go beyond January. I guess that's why I'm only mentioning still an Albion game. God forbid we're still doing it. That's for the British Dortmund, of course. That would be a financial disaster. Look, I know our accounts came out and I do trust uh, Robertson when he comes out and says we're in a, a good position. We've got uh, Wilson there saying we don't need to sell players. Let's for, let's not forget that that can't just change overnight if we have to take into account potential loss in, finan- in finances. Yes, they're still in Albion. We've still got 30,000 fans that potentially that's automatic money coming out of their bank accounts for what I'm going to imagine would be 25 to £30, whether it's still in Albion or not, that's a hell of a lot of money then yeah, of course, David Borussia Dortmund we need to take that into account as well before we just go for the sake of, no, I want to play, let's get this game played, let's get it played I think that's um, I think that's maybe, certainly I don't want to speak for everybody who's in that side of fence, but for me if we if we postpone these games, there's no guarantee that this two, three week circuit breaker weather is going to work. I mean, it's not always worked in the past. I mean, that first three week lockdown, well, there's an argument to say we're fucking still in it. Um, two years down the line, so it's, it's very hard. Um, because there's, I guess there's no guarantee either way, right? To we do this now and we're still in this position a month and then we've missed even more games as fans. I just... From my own point of view, I just don't want to miss any more games at Ibrox than I need to. And I feel like if we do this now and that game in Boxing Day goes ahead, that's just one down off the list I'm not going to be able to go to. And I'm talking about even fans that I'm not, I've not been going to the away domestic games for a while. Those fans that go to away domestic games week in, week out, 
let's take them into account as well. Those are also games they're going to miss away from home, including Celtic Park. 500 fans, you know, obviously none of them are going to be away. So we've got a lot of fans missing a lot of games. So I get it's it's about we want to play. I honestly don't think this has came at, for anyone, an advantage for it. I think we're in good form, they're in good form. I think if it were to be cut for two or three weeks and we were to do this uh, winter breakdown now and see where we're at in three weeks, we might be able to get fans in the ground. I don't know if that's been naive. I very well could be, but I want to give us the best chance to get into the grounds as possible. I think our ability to predict uh, timescales and all of this has proven to be uh, not very good. So it, it, it's difficult, you know, to say, yes, we'll do it and it will be for three weeks. And then in three weeks, you know, we don't know where we are, the number of cases, whatever that may be. And the scientific data is just lost on me. But you know that the three weeks would be optimistic for, for you know, for full gates to be back, you know, us to be rolling into uh, Ibrox late January. I mean, it would be brilliant if that was the case. And I'm hoping that the Omicron thing is just going to blow through like like the winds and it will it will disappear as quickly as it arrived and we can get things back to you know, where we were. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? It's uh, We're in the, the lap of the gods here. Uh, but I think that the, the SPFL should have been a wee bit more proactive in anticipating, you know, further disruptions. What the rules of the game are, let all the clubs know, and then we wouldn't get into this, you know, Twitter bloody vote that, you know, people start voicing their opinions on Twitter, hoping that, you know, it will gather some momentum and they and they will carry the day, whatever their particular viewpoint is. It sh- I don't really think it should be done that way. There should be obvious rules, and, and those rules then apply come come the, the correct time. I also think this is another time for us to take stock and I think I'm, I'm talking probably about British football here as well. The festive period is just games crammed in left, right and centre. I think this has been something that's been said for years now anyway. Why, why does there need to be this amount of games now? If the games were better spread out, even if our league started two weeks earlier, further in, it help us in Europe actually probably and help our teams in Europe. I do think that the games within this period are look great for a football fan. I'm not. I'm not going to stand here and say otherwise. However, at the same time, maybe that does need to be looked at. I think the answer to why oh why Graham is is, is sky oh sky because <laughs> they're the people who stump up millions of pounds to show these fixtures, and particularly for the English, you know, and but Scotland, you know, obviously we get a fraction of what they get, but but Sky with the, the festive fixture list, they want to have wall-to-wall football and they pay top dollar to get it, and certainly in terms of the EPL, not so much the SBFL, but that they are the paymasters and they they are they drive the, the fixture schedule. Monday night football was never a thing in my day, you know, when... Uh, but it is now. MNF, even we have, we have a TLA for it. <laughs> Monday night football was for... It was for replays or something, you know, he just never saw Monday Night Football. Tell you what, you just see Davey Obney's uh, kind of tenants lovelies there. Just Colin Steen never played on a Monday night. <laughs> Therefore, it shouldn't happen on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've uh, tried to write all the the world wrongs there, gentlemen, but I think that's a good place as any to finish it. But just before we do, uh, week before Christmas, we're seven points clear in the league. Um, 
Graham, I'll start with you. Any any thoughts or insights on the season so far? You still going in if this is as parking the the football for the first half of the season. All in all, you're still feeling good. Yeah, feeling really good. Of course, it's a bit bit of a disappointment that we weren't able to bag the league cup. Obviously, circumstances saw that go against us. It is what it is. I don't think it'll matter a jot for us in the rest of the season. The league and the Scottish Cup are very much well within our grasp. We're going into that uh, last 16 playoff round in the Europa League. We've got a huge tie against Dortmund. There is absolutely, in my, in my mind, not a very big chance of us getting through that. However, what that is going to do is allow us to assess where we are. Dortmund are very much a Champions League side who were very unfortunate to get knocked out. A couple of results probably go against them. They've got some unbelievable players that I cannot wait to see us play against. Even though I, this is going through, no. But as I say, it's going to allow us to assess. We want to win this league and we want to go straight into the Champions League next season. This is going to tell us exactly where we're at. That is going to be... Dortmund are going to be the best team we've played in... God, well over a decade. Well over a decade. Probably since 2010, maybe. Man United, I don't know. So, it is brilliant. I cannot wait. Um, but it's got to be debilitating for them winning. Now win that cup, but still looking, seeing us winning every game. We've won seven games in the bounce now in the league. We've got, what, five clean sheets in our own in the league. We're on great form. So, nah, keep it up. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a good first half of the season, for sure. Davey, um, I think James has been quite negative. Um, I'm just preempting my feeling um, when Dortmund do come to Ibrox, you know, regardless of any rationale or any level-headed conversation we had before that, um, I will be fully expecting a Rangers, you know, and I will be shouting all the fuck's sake tabs in the world if we don't beat um, Borussia Dortmund. But anyway, um, how are you feeling um, in terms of how the season's turned out so far? Yeah, because I'll, I'll be raging if we're not too up within first 15 minutes against Dortmund because they're, uh, they're done. They can't be that good. They wouldn't have been to many places that are going to intimidate them like Ibrooks will. So we'll see. But I mean, I, I'm quite confident I'm, and I'm quite uh, in a happy place. You know, we're 19 games gone. So I've now completed 50% of our league programme. We're sitting in 48 points. I think we can, we can just about uh, go past the 102 points of last season, but it's going to be a, a, a big effort to do that. But, you know, I'm looking uh, for Gio to come in and uh, put his stamp on that team, which he's not, I mean, he has in certain respects, but it's just been at the margin. So uh, when he gets some time on the on the training ground with these guys, he's got an excellent coaching staff, you know, he's brought these boys in. I think it's time for them to shine. And I'm, I'm hoping that we will see the benefits of that, you know, in our team. The transfer window, I, I, I don't know how much business Rangers have been lining up to do. There might be a couple of outs and some ins, but I'm hoping that uh, Giovanni has given me a real lift, you know, because when, when Gerard left, and uh, obviously I was a bit pissed off of them, you know, and just the, the timing of it and the, the way that all happens. But Gio has stepped in. I mean, it, I think we may have uh, actually won a prize here because... But certainly the team that he's been around him, Roy Mackay, you know, the, the chap he's, he's just drafted in from Holland. Guys who know their stuff, and I'm hoping that that's, he's going to put the stamp on that this team that's going to take us to 56 and back to the Champions League. And we'll be playing the likes of Dortmund, you know, uh, 
every other weekend when by the time we get to next September. You know, and I echo both your thoughts, gents. Um, it's, that's, that's a hat take your three positive bears. Um, all, all I would add to that is it was absolutely painted when Gerard left it, we were having a mid-season crisis and we were a club in turmoil. And so post-crisis, we are seven points clear going into the going into Christmas Day. And we've qualif- we qualified for the Europa League knockout stage with a game of spare. Um, Celtic are finding form, absolutely, fair dues, but they're going to have to really lift it up a gear or two to really contend with us um, the way we are going. I think I'm going to need to lift up a gear or two. I feel like I'm a few staunch points behind you two with your expectant Dortmund results here as well. So maybe I'll need to turn it off and <laughs> turn it up and actually have this festive period and come back thinking that, you know what, Erling Haaland's going to leave Ibrooks in uh, Calvin Bassey's pocket. So let's let's go with that. Let's, let's see what the festive period does for me. Graham, I've been to enough ties to know that you, you travel and hope it's better to travel and hope than to arrive, you know. So, no matter what you're expecting when you get there, he's going there with, uh, you know, of course we'll beat them. Uh, it, as, as you know and I know, it doesn't always do it that way, but there you Well, unless, yeah. I'm mis- unless I'm mistaken, I think I think the last time we played Dortmund in Dortmund, we drew. Unless we've we've played a game I don't remember since there, uh, we did draw. I think it was maybe a bit of a dead rubber but what is the Champions League so you never know maybe we'll absolutely spank the Mybrooks that would be an absolute delight and that's a it's a lovely place to finish off this week's pod spanking Dortmund um, just before we finish up just want to wish all our listeners and all our podders a very Merry Christmas um, thank you for all your support over the last year, as ever, get in touch with us um, on the post threads. Let us know what you think, if you agree, disagree, indifferent. But most importantly, just enjoy Christmas when it comes. Have a lovely time with your, your family and your loved ones and stay safe. Uh, very last things to thank my two guests. Uh, first of all, an absolute solid debut, David Park. Thank you very much, Colin Graham. It was good. We must uh, have, a, have a couple of beers sometime. And, and you know, I'd just like to echo that, you know, for, for all the bears that are listening. Stay safe, guys. You know, it's uh, we will be, we're better together. That's my Christmas message to you. And Mr Jolly himself and Graham Campbell. Merry Christmas, bears, and a happy blue year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That caught me off guard. <laughs> I'm annoyed that I laughed at that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks. Take care.